coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. And trusting teams is really important. And so what trusting teams mean is that the employees trust the company, the company trusts the employees, and the employees trust each other. And when you have trusting teams, these, this sort of magic occurs as a result. Well, all of that put together got me to the point of employee supremacy. And it's a contrast. In an Inc.com interview, Simon Sinek talks about the about shareholder supremacy. And there's a lot of history behind that. But basically what shareholder supremacy says is that as a leader of a company, you are doing everything necessary to, to contribute all the profits to the shareholders of the company. And what that does is it creates a lot of short-sighted thinking. Oh, uh, we need to hire, you know, uh, we need to hire three salespeople. Let's just go hire 10 and then let's just hack off the seven that don't work out and we'll keep the three best ones. Well, how does that work towards trusting teams? Doesn't. So we're talking about employee supremacy. Instead of decision-making being in the, for the, the shareholders, now what you're doing is saying, let's make all of our decisions towards the employees. How do we benefit the employees? How do we make sure they trust the company? How do we make sure that we're making decisions, let's say, simply around benefits? If you're under shareholder supremacy, you're like, well, no, no, we can't give them any more benefits than we absolutely have to. When you're looking at employee supremacy, you're saying, let's give them the benefits that make them feel solid, secure, that they can, they can provide for their company, give them the compensation necessary so that they can feel secure, so they trust the company, and they do what's in the best interest of the, of the customer and also in the company. Welcome to the show, I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Andy Alsop, who is the president and CEO of The Receptionist. Andy and I had a great conversation today about how he is choosing to run his company. A lot of companies choose a basically a, a shareholder mentality where everything needs to be done for the shareholder. All the decisions need to be based on what's going to make the most money for the shareholders, and they don't really necessarily take into consideration the aspects of the employees, the interests of the employees. Andy is running his company differently, and he's promoting this and projecting this into other up-and-coming companies with the end goal of eventually changing the world. His concept, his idea is that by infusing this form of management and this way of running your company, as you grow, you're going to obviously impact more and more people. And that is going to have a trickle-down effect in so many different ways. If you're familiar with the way that Silicon Valley and a lot of tech companies are run, it's very, very common for people to come and work at a company for a year, maybe two years, and then they go to the next 
company. Imagine coming to a company that you just can't even fathom leaving. That security and knowing that you can't get that type of treatment in any other company that you have arrived at what you're supposed to do, your life would be completely different than if you are hopping from job to job. And then from the, the company standpoint, imagine the amount of money that you would save, not only from trying to find and hire and train a new person, but you also are going to have all of the tribal knowledge and everything that people learn and set up and the connections with the, with the vendors and you know maybe you sell things. So they're, they're going to have connections with all of you know, your, your clients. All of that would remain with the company. So just imagine how much more the company can do if you don't have to keep constantly going back and retraining and trying to relearn something that someone else had in place. It just would be a different different place, a different world. So if you are looking for a different way to run your company, you feel like there has to be a different way, listen to this episode. Uh, Andy has some great insights into the old ways of doing things and the new way of doing things, and it makes just complete perfect sense. So with that, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. As a child, I'm the youngest of uh, six siblings, and my oldest sibling, sibling is 22 years older than I am. Wow. So there's a big stretch. And when around our dinner table were my, the most important figures were my dad, who was a, a fairly well-known journalist in Washington, D.C., by the wow. name of Stuart Alsop, and his brother, my, my uncle, Joe Alsop, and they wrote a column that went back into, you know, because I was such a young kid, they called me a do-it-yourself grandchild so that my parents were much older. And it was raucous argument about political policy <laughs> and theory and things like that. And so it was very formative and very uh, lively. And as a small kid, I don't know that I, I jumped in very much because I don't think yeah. I could add much, but I listened a lot. Yeah. And, and did you find that interesting too? I mean, I, I think a lot of kids, you may be bored by that. I mean, would, but was that conversation kind of interesting to you at the time? I would say it was definitely interesting. I, it was hard because... Here are around the table were always people who really understood politics and understood all of the nuances behind it. So they would get into these incredible discussions, sometimes arguments, heated discussions about things that, you know, as a small kid, I didn't even know what was going on. So I found it interesting and it kind of kept me participatory in what was going on, but definitely it was harder to kind of break in because I was, I was a little intimidated. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Love that. And, and, you know, were you exposed to any type of entrepreneurialism as a, as a child? I mean, I guess being a reporter is somewhat entrepreneurialistic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He, you know, my dad, Stuart was definitely an entrepreneur. He wrote a column. He was, you know, time, he actually worked for Newsweek and wrote the, the, the back page article every week. I think that he was employed by Newsweek at the time, but very much he and, and my uncle were out there traveling the world looking for stories. And they were submitting stories to the Herald Tribune, and then it was getting syndicated. So he was very much an entrepreneur, but actually, the, I, I have two brothers, uh, Joe Alsop, the oldest brother, who was 22 years older than me, founded and took a company public called Progress Software. 
Oh, wow. And then my third oldest brother, Stuart, is a well-known venture capitalist in uh, Silicon Valley and has done quite well as, as well. So, and the funny thing is that all of my siblings and I joke that none of us have really ever worked for companies. All six of us in one way or the other have always worked for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I would say there's a lot of entrepreneurial blood that, that came down, down to me. I love it. Yeah, that's fantastic. So did you do college, regular school path? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. I went to, I'm a graduate of the the college of business and economics at West Virginia university. Okay. Uh, Really enjoyed it. It was a really good school that has graduated several well-known entrepreneurs who went on to, to build great companies. And that's kind of, I actually dropped out of college and, and started a bar and restaurant in Morgantown, West Virginia. Oh, wow. And that was my first entrepreneurial pursuit. Yeah. I, I had this thing, I guess this is, I'm one of those people that maybe kind of knew very early on what he wanted to do. I had this dream of opening a sandwich shop at the end of our driveway okay. at like 12, you know, yeah, and then I had yeah. newspaper roots and I, and I borrowed a hundred bucks from my mom and bought a lawnmower and, and paid her back in the first day after I just mowed a bunch of lawns and, you know, so I've always, and then, and then when I got to college, I said, I'm ready to start a business. So I ended up mm-hmm. opening this bar and restaurant, total failure. I, I yeah. lost everything doing it, but it was, uh, I, I think I probably learned more out of that than I did going to business school. I'm just trying to start, start something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love that. So, so what did you do after the, the bar restaurant thing? Did you? Well, well it was funny. I, I, I had to go back cause I had, I dropped yeah. out of school. So I ended up going back and I ended up going back to business school, which was so cool because here I had had the experience of running yeah, a business sure. and I'm in these business classes. You know, now I'm two or three years a little bit further ahead than the other students. But I'm, you know, they're looking around like, wow, you actually ran a business. So I was so engaged in those last years because mm-hmm. I wasn't just kind of viewing what they were teaching us as theoretical. It was actual practical, you know, mm-hmm. information that I needed. And I had a couple of, of the professors that, knew that I had started a business and asked me to kind of teach a class or just talk about what it was like. So I ended up going back to school afterwards and, and getting my degree after having had that experience. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I, I said, okay, I'm going to be in the restaurant business. That's where I want to go. And that turned out after about two years, I realized, no, nah, actually, I'm not really into the restaurant business. Mm-hmm. And I have so much respect for anybody who can run a restaurant profitably yeah because you look at it and you say well what's a restaurant it's you know you serve food you serve drinks you just like make people happy and stuff it is a hard business it is yeah. not easy so i have a, a ton of respect so after that i ended up basically getting into technology i had been in technology all along and really enjoyed technology but then i made i moved out to santa fe new mexico where i am here and i started a business with my brother and that was all in technology yeah i love it so so You've had you've had a lot of exposure into you know different types of of businesses and you know schooling sort of in the middle of all of that. I, I guess that kind of does that lead you to where you are today? And and you know, we wanted to talk about the uh, you know the employee uh, supremacy concept theory and and you know driving companies that that are looking to create a different atmosphere you know in their companies. Do you feel like all of the different exposures, all of the different you know businesses that you've been involved in, has helped you realize that you know maybe there is a different way to run and manage business you know today that that is different than what a lot of people have traditionally run their their companies before in the past? 
I'd say 110%. Because I guess I've been living in the shadows of my two brothers, you know, one who took venture capital from New Enterprise Associates, big fund and everything, rolled that up, not rolled that up, but then took that investment and then launched a company that eventually went public and is now worth three or $4 billion on the NASDAQ. That was, that was formative. And then of course I have my other brother who's a venture capitalist. So, you know, my whole idea was I want to start a business. I'm going to bring in boatloads of venture capital once it starts to become successful and I'm just going to blow it up. Mm-hmm. And that really was kind of had a lot of impact on me. And so I've gone through several businesses. You know, I had a few here in New Mexico. And then the company I have now is called The Receptionist. And The Receptionist is a visitor management company. I came upon it because I had decided I wasn't able to make a business run in New Mexico. So I ended up moving my entrepreneurial life up to Denver, even though I still reside in New Mexico. And I networked and everything else and ended up finding this business. And then when I found the business, I went to my two brothers. And the one, Stuart, the venture capitalist said, you know, I don't think you really need a lot of capital to to make this business grow. It's going to throw throw off a lot of cash. It's a SaaS business. SaaS businesses have a tendency to throw up a lot of cash. And I think you probably can do it without having to blow it up with a lot of venture capital. Mm -hmm. And that was as if somebody, one of these people who were the, the ones that I looked up to, said, you don't have to do it the way you think you've had to do it. Yeah. And so it was like this release for me. My, uh, I was able to just say, okay, I'm going to do this the way I want to do it. And all my previous businesses, I thought I had to bring in and I was pitching VCs and doing all this other stuff. So I ended up basically taking this business and, you know, very entrepreneurially at a, at a, at a, a, a folding table in industry Denver, which is a big co-working space in the North side of Denver. It's, it's me and a, and a sales guy who came over because I acquired the business, very tiny at the time. It always served, a, I don't know, 150 or so locations. And we started at a, a, a folding table and ended up kind of running it you, the way you would normally, a, a, an entrepreneurial business. You just got to get stuff done. You're running it. You're doing everything you need to do. But It wasn't until further down into the history of the company, and it was around 2017 and 2018, that uh, somebody told me should should read the book Traction or the Entrepreneurial Operating System by Gina Wickman. And so I read that and I really devoured it. And at that time, we had a small leadership team. There were three of us. And I went to the other two members of the leadership team. I said, can you, you know, read this? And what I'd like to do is to start running the company under traction. And the thing that traction tells you is the first thing you have to decide is what are your core values? You have to decide what is that? And up until that point, I was like, core values, more values. I don't really like core values, whatever. It's stuff you put on walls and stuff. I learned a huge lesson of how incredibly important that was. And so we ended up adopting our core values after a bunch of exercises and really working hard on it. And it's called Fabric, fun, authentic, bold, respectful, innovative, and collaborative. And they speak to what we do. And all of a sudden, as we're bringing on employees, we now are hiring those people who share the same core values. And it made a huge amount of difference. Take our journey just a little bit further forward. And then we get into the infinite game by Simon Sinek. And the infinite game gets us to something that you have to determine what is your just cause. And there's a long story there, but it's too long for for me to describe. But we got to our just cause. 
And our just cause is to build a world where a company's profits fuel the mission to be in service to its employees and the community. And I know that that sounds like a lot, but when you unpack it, it basically says what we want to do is to build a world where companies are saying, instead of we're going to fuel the, the investors and the shareholders, we're going to fuel the employees. And why do you want to do that? You want to fuel the employees because when you have happy employees, they do a better job with the customer. They are, are taking initiatives that they take on their own without having to be told. They can be trusted. And there's this concept behind the infinite game and Simon Sinek's work, which is trusting teams. And trusting teams is really important. And so what trusting teams mean is that the employees trust the company, the company trusts the employees, and the employees trust each other. And when you have trusting teams, these, this sort of magic occurs as a result. Well, all of that put together got me to the point of employee supremacy. And it's a contrast. In an Inc.com interview, Simon Sinek talks about the fact about shareholder supremacy, and there's a lot of history behind that, but basically what shareholder supremacy says is that as a leader of a company, you are doing everything necessary to, to contribute all the profits to the shareholders of the company. And what that does is it creates a lot of short-sighted thinking. Oh, uh, we need to hire, you know, uh, we need to hire three salespeople. Let's just go hire 10, and then let's just hack off the seven that don't work out, and we'll keep the three best ones. Well, how does that work towards trusting teams? Doesn't. So we're talking about employee supremacy. Instead of decision making being in the for the the shareholders, now what you're doing is saying, let's make all of our decisions towards the employees. How do we benefit the employees? Employees. How do we make sure they trust the company? How do we make sure that we're making decisions? Let's say simply around benefits. If you're under shareholder supremacy, you're like, well, no, no, we can't give them any more benefits than we absolutely have to. When you're looking at employee supremacy, you're saying, let's give them the benefits that make them feel solid, secure, that they can, they can provide for their company, give them the compensation necessary so that they can feel secure, so they trust the company, and they do what's in the best interest of the, of the customer and also in the company. So that's how it came about to this whole idea of, of employee supremacy. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot that can be unpacked there as well. So when you when you started deploying this, you know, in your in your own companies, you obviously started this at, at, at a certain point. So you're probably running the company the way that you know it, it traditionally traditional company was run. And then you started going down this this other path. So you kind of have this this perspective where you knew the old way and you knew the new way. What were some of the things, some of the realizations that you that you came to, or maybe your staff started coming to, the employees started coming to? Uh, what were some of those changes, some of those realizations that that you know were were expressed during that transition period? Well, and I think it's into that's a great question because what happened was, yeah, I was running this company under more shareholder supremacy and like we're gonna blow this thing up and then deciding and making that decision. I don't actually have to do that. And I've always wanted it's always pained me how employees are treated. So previously, and this is the thing, I always use this by example, is what I think is really important. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. 
It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. In under shareholder supremacy, what ended up happening in the past, and I didn't even know that's what it was called. But that, that's the way I knew things were being done. I just didn't have a name for it. You know, what was happening was you'd have to make a decision. I already used the, you know, the benefits and the compensation and, you know, insurance and things like that. Something just happened recently in our company. And it was just like an, a light bulb moment. So we went back, my director of sales and I went back and for, we have a, a fairly, you know, good sized sales team, but for one of our sales members, we were, or sales team members, we're calculating commissions in a spreadsheet, something we're actually changing over right now, but there was a calculation error in there about a specific type of sale. Now, it, what it, and it, it was, it benefited the company and it didn't benefit the employee. Now, under shareholder supremacy, you would be met with this saying, I have to do everything that is in the interest of the shareholders. Well, it's in the interest of the shareholders not to disclose that we made that mistake and we shorted the employee. And that's the short-sightedness of shareholder supremacy. Mm -hmm. What we ended up doing was, and my director of sales and I looked at each other and we said, we operate under employee supremacy. There's not even a question of what we have to do in this situation. Mm -hmm. We calculated what the amount was. We went to the employee as quickly as we possibly could, apologized for the mistake we made and said, we're going to be adding this to your next paycheck. And the employee was like, wow, you know, mm -hmm. I talk about trusting teams. They knew that employee know, now knows we're not going to go and do things. The ick factor is what I call mm -hmm. it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the, the difference. The other thing was that we were running this thing and our leadership team, and we were always felt very important that we did well by our employees, but we didn't have a name for it. We didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And I credit Simon Sinek because we did the infinite game and we ended up hitting on what our just cause was. And it was like this moment when we, when we decided what our just cause was. And this was only in the middle of last, I guess it was towards the beginning of 2021 of last year. And when we hit on what our just cause was, there was silence in the virtual room, because, you know, we're all doing this on Zoom, but there's this silence of, we just hit it. We actually know what we want to do. We know what our mission is. Yeah. And then we delivered it to the employees and they're like, you know, and, and, and what employee is going to say, no, don't, don't focus on me, you know, 
but yeah. knowing the company trusts them and wants to see them thrive, we all of a sudden, there was just like, now we know what we're doing. We didn't have that just cause before. We kind of knew it. So that was kind of the difference between then and now. I love it. I love it. And and yourself as one of the you know leaders of the company, how does this help you in different situations as well? I mean, we kind of just went through this, but I, I guess what I'm what I'm kind of thinking in the back of my head is, you know, you 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 can go through this exercise and you can say this, but if you still approach an employee or group of employees in you know, a, a condescending type way, which, you know, I, I, I see this all the time, you know, in other, in other businesses in that where there isn't a, a genuine deliverable when you're presenting yourself to someone else, you know, you're saying you're going to do this, but then you quite honestly come off as an asshole when you're talking to your, you know, employees, there's obviously, there, there's a, you know, a way that you would need to present yourself as well so that the, the employees do trust, you know, in that process and, and trust, that, yeah, you know what, they, they are different. They do have our back. They, you know, they do trust us. So I guess, do you, do you have any thoughts on, you know, what, what you would need to do as, as a leader to make sure that you're portraying this, this approach in the best light or in, in a way that, you know, is, is going to be, you know, uphold what you're presenting, that this is the way that we're going to run the company. Well, yeah, so that is, I think what you're getting at, at what I hear is how is, when you're running under shareholder supremacy, because the whole idea of shareholder supremacy is that everything that we do is for the benefit of the investors and the shareholders, mm -hmm. it sets aside the fact that you've got employees who are actually doing the hard work. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm talking to you right now, but my team is back there working with customer support and doing the sales and doing the operations and the billing and all that stuff, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And so the problem is there's a point of view. Shareholder supremacy is like, I as the shareholder am the most important person here and you are lucky to be working for me yeah. and getting a salary. And that's what gives you that kind of sense of like being an asshole. Cause you're, you're looking at the employees as somebody who is basically a cog in a wheel that is helping me to make money. And that's what I find so kind of deplorable about shareholder supremacy is, I don't know, you know, better.com was an example from about six weeks ago where the, the CEO of, of, and now he almost got fired, but then of course the board didn't want to fire him. But this guy fires 900 people over Zoom in a 15 minute call and then says some absolutely terrible things in email to them. Mm -hmm. And that's somebody who's saying, you're lucky to work for me. And if you take that attitude, yeah, that's, that's really what you're going to get. You're not going to get trusting teams. I can't imagine that an employee of better.com is saying, I really love working for this company that's making worldwide headlines about all of the awful things that they've done and how they've treated their employees. Yeah. That's going to hurt their recruiting. So I think it's a, it's a, it is definitely a mental shift that is required to be able to say, your employees are actually the ones that are sitting in front of the customers having to make decisions about what's best for the customer. Mm -hmm. And you're not the one doing it. The people on top are the leaders and usually the ones with the most, I'm, I'm the biggest shareholder in our company, right? And if I take that, that perspective that I'm the biggest shareholder and you're working for me and, oh, you're just screwing up left and right, 
that's that's basically shareholders pharmacy but i want to raise shareholder value and i think the best way to raise shareholder value is to treat those employees the best you can so they can feel safe they can feel secure because in the end they're going to stay with the company only one person has voluntarily left my company since i started the company you know so that means all that tribal knowledge all of that information yeah. about processes procedures about customers it's all still here because we have we have had to let employees go because they might not have been good fits and in, in traction terms they might not have been in the right the right person or in the right seat or whatever else so we've had to make some changes there but only one person has voluntarily left meaning the people are still there around the table who knows know what's going on in the company as opposed to let's just fire 900 people who we spent millions of dollars uh, you know, training and getting them to know exactly what happened, then well, we'll just get rid of them. You know, yeah. that's yeah. shareholders' premise. So, I don't know. Does that answer the question? It, it does. Yeah, it does. And and I I think I think what it is 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 you know, if you're truly going to adopt something like this, you need to make sure that you're reflecting on your own life and and being cognizant of how you're presenting yourself to you know, to your, to your staff. And it might not even necessarily be, you might not even necessarily be addressing the staff directly, but, you know, even if they see you, you know, doing something else that doesn't necessarily align with that mentality in the back of their head, like you said, that the, they're not going to feel that trust. Like, you know, what if he just turns on me someday or, you know, what, what happens if I'm that person, you know, at, at a certain point. So, so you really need to be, you know, very much so conscious of how you're presenting yourself, you know, throughout the, you know, throughout the entire process. So with that being said, I mean, was this a big shift for you at all, or was this sort of, you know, always, always in your heart that you always felt like this is the right thing to do, but maybe you had, this is the way that it's done. This is the way that we've always done things before in the past. Was it, was it more like, yeah, this just feels right. And I don't really need to shift myself. Or was there some things that you need to learn about yourself and, and, you know, shift the way that you're presenting yourself? I think it's very much what you said, I think would be the latter in the fact that I felt like I was running a company. I knew it had to be under shareholder supremacy. And I know that I'm going to need to take these actions and it's not going to feel good. It's going to feel icky. It's not going to feel, it just, it didn't feel right for so much of my career. And so the shift that did happen was for a long time, I, I luckily had also brought on people on my leadership team who felt similarly about me, about my view towards employees and stuff. And therefore, as a result, were in support of it so that I didn't have to make a big shift like, oh God, now I got to get half rid of half of my leadership team because they aren't on the same boat as I am. And so that, I think, it was almost like as we discovered our just cause, I almost sleep, I, I don't almost, I sleep better at night because I now know that I can do things that are in the best interest of the company. And it's not just that I do it for the, the, the employees and the, for our community as well, just because I want to be altruistic. It actually goes to the bottom line that I know the value of this company is far greater than if we were just you know uh, churning and burning employees and doing things like that so we're building a really solid company and in the end i'm the biggest shareholder in this company so if i can actually do that then i'm benefiting myself but not in a way where i'm the focus of it where everybody's doing that and i think it comes down you know you brought up something which it comes down to actions 
that action when one of our salespeople is shorted says volumes. The salesperson had no idea that it existed, but they could have had, you know, maybe two or three years down the road, discovered the mistake and said, what happened? And had we had knowledge of it previously and that employee found out about it, he, that person would have just said, well, I guess this company doesn't really care about me. They care more yeah. about themselves and the bottom line. So it's that kind of thing where you take the right action. You don't take the icky action. You're doing things that will then make the employees more engendered to say, I really am behind this company. I want to see it succeed. I'm not telling them, you need to know that this company is gonna succeed. They're actually wanting to do it themselves. It actually gives us all a cause where we can all work together. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, you mentioned the just cause a number of times and how things were silent, you know, when you guys finally, you know, arrived at what that just cause was. Do you feel like you attracted, you, you mentioned that you didn't have to go through and, and change a lot of people around. Do you think that you sort of intuitively before you really arrived at this, before you had all of the, all of the core values and all of that, were you intuitively attracting people or, or hiring people, you know, who were based off of your, you know, sort of your guiding principles, if you will, you, you felt like they were, you know, sort of aligned and, and now you have a, a structure that you can absolutely say, yeah, this is us. But, you know, before it was, you know, guessing and, you know, we're lucky if we can, if we can find somebody, you know, that, that I feel like I connect with. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I'd say there's almost three stages to the company, maybe. There's the beginning stage. I mean, so now we've been around for like six, almost seven years. And in the first couple of years of the company, I had a couple of people who I hired and we were butting heads all the time. Mm -hmm. Because I was thinking shareholders, probably, we have to grow, we're going to go out there and get venture capital, we need to build the, mm -hmm. the dev team, we have to do this. And we just spend a, spent a lot of time butting heads. And then there was kind of the second phase of the company where we did finally achieve, the, the not achieve, we developed our core values. And we felt strongly about those. And we felt a kind of a commonality in terms of how we wanted to treat our employees, that type of thing. And then there's the third stage, which is when we actually decided what our just cause was. You know, in that second stage, we had determined traction and we had knew how to operationally run our company because that's what traction is all about. Right. It's all right. about, you know, determining how do you run meetings and who's in the right seat and who's the right person and all this other stuff. But it was when we actually came and decided that we were going to be kind of playing the infinite game, as Simon Sinek talks about it. And putting in our just cause, that was the third phase where I feel like things have smoothed out so much. It's, it's a joy to run this company. Most people you talk to who are running software companies are just tearing their hair up. They've got all of these personnel issues and they've got all these other things. And it's, it's, they're working ridiculous hours. I honestly am having a great time running this company. We're growing. We've got a couple of initiatives that we've come up with, not just my ideas, but the work of the, the leadership team and the whole team that I am really excited about and where we're going in the future. And so what I keep telling everybody is, if you don't believe what we're doing, watch our, watch our growth and see if we can actually take this model and grow, but do it in a different way. And, you know, the funny thing was you said there's people who might be teaching, te you know, addressing their their employees as like you know there's assholes and all this other stuff or being assholes or whatever and it's like 
what I what I keep saying is that you really we're not going to be able to change the companies. We're not going to change Google, right? We're not going right. to go and change Chase. We're not going to chase uh, change all of these big companies. What I want to do is impact the entrepreneurs. I want to impact the the Google entrepreneurs of today that are going to be running the companies that are worth billions of dollars. And they say early on, this is how we're going to run, run our company. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to do. And I go on a lot of podcasts because I want to talk about this. I think it is so important because there is an impact if employees feel solid, secure about the companies they're working for. Mm -hmm. I said in one podcast, even that I even wonder if we couldn't even go back to a place where employees aren't hopping companies every two years, yeah. you know, yeah. every year that we actually, you could, we, I have, I have employees who have been working for me for over six years now. And I think that that is a testament. It wouldn't it be great if you could be at a company thrive and not have to feel like, Oh, I got to go, go to this other company. Cause they just hired 30 people or mm -hmm. I was part of a layoff because you know, they, they miss their quarter or whatever. I, I, I think there's gotta be a, a better way to do it. And that's mm -hmm. why I keep talking to everybody about this. I love it. I love it. Yeah. If people want to learn more about you, your, your philosophies, your, your company, what would be the best way to reach out and get in touch? Well, I'm on uh, LinkedIn is probably my biggest medium. And that's Andy Alsop. I think I'm one of the top Andy Alsops that comes up on LinkedIn, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And it's just Andy Alsop is, you know, when you put in the LinkedIn name, AC Alsop on, on Twitter, uh, AC Alsop on, on Instagram as well. And then, of course, the receptionist.com. And what we're doing is putting together a five-part series on employee supremacy, mm -hmm. going from the beginning of us discovering our just cause all the way through the progression, and then talking about how you can implement it at your company. We're just about to record that episode. We have something called the Fabric Podcast. I think that is very worthwhile taking a look at. And it's within the Fabric Podcast that we're starting this five-part series. And I just encourage people, if they're excited about this concept, is to look up the Fabric podcast and, and look at that. I think that's that's been great. And you know, I, I'm my email address is on the website. I don't hide myself, so I'm always looking forward to people reaching out to me. And and I've had a lot of people reaching out to me and saying that's a really interesting concept. And yeah, tell me more about it. So yeah, I love it. I love it, Andy. This is fantastic. And and uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, the the changes that you're making today and and spearheading today can absolutely you know create a huge impact you know, a few years from now when, you know, the people that you're able to plant these seeds, you know, grow into the next Googles or, you know, the, the next huge companies. And, you know, hopefully, like you said, we'll, we'll have, uh, uh, you know, employee staffs that are much, much more fulfilled, which, you know, that, that has a huge trickle down effect in all areas of life then as well. So I love the messaging, love the, love the thing you're, you're, you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, kudos to you. Congrats. Love it. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.